This is Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Welcome to our sermon podcast. As the children make their way back for Children's Church, we want to invite you to open up your bulletin. You'll find some information there. Uh, Particularly, you're going to find a, a, a sticky note that we're going to be using here in a little bit. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about decisions, decision moments that have a ripple effect. The decisions that we make when added up over time have a huge impact on our lives. And we've talked about how we make our choices and then our choices make us. Now that's not only for us personally, um, individually about our faith and our own walk with Christ, but it's also about what we do as a church, as a community. And so today we're going to take a a kind of a little bit of a change. We're going to invite uh, Linda and Michael to come up. They're going to be leading us today to talking about some opportunities um, that we can do to make a difference in our life of a church, the choices that we have, um, and the future that lies before us, a bold, exciting future. And I just invite them to come and share with us this morning. Thank you. Friends, we're gathered here together to sell. Oh, wait, that's the wrong notes. Hold on a second. I'll just, maybe one day, I don't know. Wow. Right? Look around. Aren't we blessed? Like, what a service that we get to come to every day. It's a beautiful day. We've got blue skies. It's a little cold, but it's not snowing, which is a plus. And we get to do this every Sunday right? How amazing is that, that we feel that we have a community that we can pray together, and we can cry together, and we can learn about each other, but what's missing? Or who's missing? Aren't there more people that deserve that in their lives? In December of 2018, we were called uh, into a small focus group, and we were asked a very difficult question for me because everybody likes to think of themselves as open-minded. But we were asked, how open-minded are you to this process? And by process, I mean being a body of Christ. How open-minded are you to maybe giving a little or flexing a little to really reach out and, as as my three-year-old son says, shine God's light uh, to the people that maybe aren't able to see it? So as part of this process, Linda and I were invited to um, chair a communications committee. And as part of the communications committee, although we're, I think we're still trying to massage a little bit about what we uh, want or are going to communicate, but as part of the communications committee, we felt that it was our task to try to share what we've learned over the past year with you. Because as we know, the change makers in this church are not a few people It's the body itself. And we know that through the power of prayer, when everybody comes together, we can make things happen, right? So Linda's going to share a little bit of information for you. We're going to come back to the sticky note. um, And I have another little piece of information for you there. But I hope that uh, you can listen to this question as you listen to Linda's words. Are you open-minded? You all might remember that clip that Steve used last fall. In a series of sermon no, in a series of sermons that he did for it, and that I love that moment of tension when Simba is looking in the water, and he gets this moment of clarity when he has to decide if he's going to continue to do what he's doing or is he going to go back and fulfill 
his purpose, and his call. We are made for more than we've become, and we have forgotten who we are. I don't know about you, but that's not a question. God's call in our lives is not a question that I take lightly. Today we offer another opportunity to think about our identity as God's people, listening for God's call in our lives, and asking ourselves if we're following that call and following what we believe God is asking us to do. We want you to think about that both from a personal standpoint, but also from the standpoint of what God might be calling this church on the hill to do in 2020. So a few years ago, I gave a mug to my son-in-law that says, history matters. And I'm here today to remind you that history matters. The path by which we are, those of you and we are sitting here today got, got here, that path matters. In 1896, Mount Pleasant numbered 32 people. Today we number around 200. You might recognize the picture up there, up there as the old church. In 1996, members of Mount Pleasant committed themselves to building a new church. Why? The information that I read <clears throat> said that they wanted to better serve God's needs in this community. The backstory is that a little over 20 years ago, a guy named Dick Morris had a dream. And the more I've talked about Dick Morris to people that knew him, the more interesting things I find out about him. I just learned this morning that he was a true visionary in that in one of his, his dreams, he designed a spinner for fishing. And I won't go on and on about that story, but apparently it was a very successful design and one of his friends got the opportunity to use it. In the time frame we're talking about, he was the chair of the building committee. He had overseen many meetings, conversations that go into building a bigger church. Money apparently had been raised once for a new structure, but had been spent on renovations to the old structure. The belief that a bigger church was needed to serve God's needs in the community, that belief was still alive. I'm told that a steering committee, 20 years ago or approximately so, spent a year praying, planning, and sometimes disagreeing about how to proceed. They became aware during that time that a childless couple in their church Ray and Mabel Vinoy had left a bulk of their estate, $500,000 in fact, to be used as matching funds to construct this sanctuary. They did not have children of their own, but they believed that a bigger church would see countless children benefiting from their gift. And isn't it interesting that these years later, we think that our children's ministry is something that can serve this community. Eventually, money was raised, and some people we go to church with today helped raise that money. So part of what inspired Dick's vision was this dream that he's had when he saw the new church filled with people and a voice saying, there are new people that, we want, that I want you to meet. He shared the dream with his pastor, and soon on Christmas Eve, the church was full of people Prior to the benediction, the pastor stopped the meeting and said, Dick, is this what you saw in your dream? And soon after that, the construction began. There are some people that I've talked to that recall that 
Even though the commitment was there, the money was there, the plan was there, the discussions were there, there was some foot dragging going on. So why? Likely, one of the reasons was fear. Um, perhaps fear of debt, fear of the unknown, maybe fear of losing members who didn't like what was going on, and probably fear of change. But what helped them push through was the generosity of people like the Vinoys, a steering committee who held to their vision in spite of disagreement the courage one man had to share his vision and the hard work and determination of many members uh, who had their boots on the ground. One of those, by the way, was Eddie Shepard. He goes to first service, and he uh, actually uh, built the cross, the wooden cross downstairs out of the, old, the altar from the old church. Another was Joe Province, who designed the windows on the side of the, of the church. So a little over a year ago, another group of people got together, Michael spoke of that, and we, asked, we were asked to ask, um, do we remember who we are as God's children, as members and, and attenders of, of this church? Um, what is our call as a church? Who are the people around us that we don't know? And what is our responsibility in the community? And there was a consultant that came to help us um, and the people that were there, we reviewed the history of Mount Pleasant, and I wasn't helpful with that because I wasn't around, but there were plenty of members who did help us with that review. We shared our beliefs and opinions about what we think is happening here, and we also shared our ideas and our convictions about what we think God wants of us in the context of the need that's around us. And we know, for instance, just a very brief blurb on the needs in West Virginia. As a state, 2016, there was the highest rate of depression and overdose in the United States. We also know that there's a trend to, toward increase in single-parent households nationally. And within a one-mile radius of our church, 57%, there's a rate of, of single-parent houses, which is 57%. There are 2,040 people in a mile radius of the church. So how many of those do we know? We also looked at what was happening in the state of West Virginia to uh, Methodist churches in the state of West Virginia. And I know many of you saw this slide before in one, of, uh, one or more of Steve's presentations, Pastor Steve's presentations. We know that um, 805 churches have 50 or less members attending. One has 500 or so, and we are in the middle there with 200 to 200 in, in the 200 uh, range. <clears throat> and we learn that just as people go through life cycles, churches also go through life cycles. And there's a predictable life cycle in the life of all churches, regardless of the denomination. Consultant presented this bell curve to us to help us understand what happens in the life of a church. This is based on research and, and people that have studied this. And um, so, so there, typically there's a vision, there's inspiration that helps a church launch. 
It grows, there's strategic growth that happens to help the church work and function better. Then at the top there, there's a, a period of sustained health. Once that's reached, you go into the church goes into maintenance, and they're already on, you're already on the other side of that curve, and it starts going down into preservation and life support. Now, I don't know how many of those 805 churches feel that they are on life support, but with people, a membership of under 50 people coming, I'm, got, I'm wondering if sometimes they feel that way. The, the um, interesting thing about this is that if a church recognizes that they're on the other side of that curve, um, and they say, hey, you know, we better do something about this, you can't apparently just go back up to the top, crawl backwards up the curve and try to achieve a previous level of, um, of um, energy. It doesn't work that way. What needs to happen apparently is that, it ha we, uh, that a vision has to be relaunched and um, repeat, the, the cycle is repeated by going up the other side. So I'm just curious where you think we are, where you, where you think we are in this cycle. I'm not going to ask you, because the group is too big, you know, to expose your, your ideas on this. Um, but um, it's easy to think, it would be easy to think because of all the positive things that are happening here, that we're in the strate strategic growth phase. So 20 or so of us took a survey, and there was pretty... Um, solid agreement that where we actually are is in a maintenance phase here in the church. And what's interesting is that churches can often arrive there without, re without um, really realizing it. This is something that happens slowly, kind of like weight gain and hair loss. It's not all of a sudden you wake up and there you are. You know, this is a slow creep, a slow progression. Um, one of the things that can happen in the maintenance mode is that the church can actually look pretty financially healthy, and we are, you know. I mean, we haven't, the, the funds have dropped a little bit over the last year, but there's a pretty even um, uh, trajectory there. Um, but what's also true in this mode is that attendance plateaus and begins to decline. So here is a slide between 15 and 19, and here's one from 99 to 18. And you can see on this slide, there's actually been some, some ups and downs. Also during this time, um, the church's corporate vision, that means where are we going as a body? That idea, that vision gets stale, and ministry silos begin to form. And I just want to take a minute to talk about ministry silos because um, it's, they are so easy. it's so easy for them to happen. They're often started because of really big needs and good causes. But what can happen is if, in the, if the church is full, filled with people who all have their own ministry silos and want to pour their time and their energy and their resources into their particular outreach program, what can suffer is the corporate vision, because not only do people, for whatever reason, lose sight of that, but their resources are no longer um, going, or they, they, they maybe don't take the time to match up their vision and their, silo, their, their interests with the, with the larger church's um, vision. This is a uh, slide on baptism. You can see that um, baptisms have declined 
uh, steadily since 99. So, um, which is an interesting, uh, another way to think about what's happening here. So back to the bell curve that we learned that um, if the church is successful in pulling out of this undercurrent and avoiding going, slipping down into life support, what needs to happen is a relaunch of uh, vision and energy. So what does that mean for us? The uh, collective wisdom is that we're here in the maintenance mode. Um, I think, we think, the committee that has worked hard on this over the last year, we think that it's really important to celebrate what God is doing here. We saw that this morning. God was touching hearts, and, and it's, it, you know, God's spirit is here. And so we have reasons to be optimistic going forward. God's bringing us new people, and we are hopeful about what they, all the new people, can teach us and how we can learn from them. And if you're a visitor here today, we are thrilled that you are here because we hope to learn from you and benefit from your life experience and faith experience. We also celebrate that people are attending our services on Facebook, and Cassie gave us a new number this morning. Uh, the website's more dynamic. Um, Cassie's been working hard to make it more inviting. She told us once about all the people that Google to find out how to get here. That's, that's very encouraging. Hospitality, hospitality efforts are up. Uh, children's space has been renovated. And this morning, we celebrated the launching of a new leadership team that's going to help us focus our corporate vision going forward. But being in maintenance also means that we're gonna to need to change some things going forward to avoid the decline that we saw in that curve. My friend and colleague Michael came across a quote that says that, you know, where we are on that curve, that is not something that we can ignore without consequences. So what's next for us? I think, we think it's important to thank all of those, and some of you are, are here today, certainly there were more of you in the first service. Thank you, those of you who have gone before us, who have um, carried the dream and the vision of meeting the, the needs of the community forward. It's important to recognize that we have been handed a legacy like a baton in a relay race. And for those of you that ever run one or seen one, you know, number two hands it to number three, and if there's a fumble and a drop, it interrupts the whole course of the race. And so the job is to grab the baton and run. It's important for us to ask when we hear we're made for more, it's important to ask, what does that mean? What does it mean when we're, when we're repeatedly reminded that, we're rema that we are made for more? So we're here today to suggest that it is really up to us. We do not want to drop the baton. And so the question is, how can we carry the legacy forward? It's interesting to look at the tribute if you ever have a chance to go back in the conference room the couple that donated the money for this new, uh, new, new sanctuary, attached to their picture is, is the verse, uh, part of John 15, 8, that says that you may bear fruit, so you will be my disciples. And we know that discipleship is what we, our ultimate goal, um, bringing more people to discipleship. 
Steve has said recently, and he might have even said it this morning, um, that every decision we make is a celebration of decisions that have led up to the one we face now. Cassie said recently in one of her sermons that it can be overwhelming to face our call from God. We get it when Simba balks. He's sitting in relative happiness and contentedness, not much stress in his life. He's got it going. And he balks and says, is this the right decision for me? Do I really want to take this on? It's going to be hard. And can I do this? We understand that. But what we know is that it does come down to us. And we think it's important first to affirm that all of us inside and outside the church are broken. Nobody has all the answers. Nobody is completely perfect and healed, and we have a common foundation of needing God's grace. We all struggle, have doubts, and lo and behold, the church is a good place to work on those, contrary to what some people think. Um, we have opportunities to accept routinely invitations that go out about small groups, discipleship groups, financial peace, um, Bible studies, um, and um, because those things strengthen our own relationship to God so we can strengthen our place in the community. And I think it's also, um, it comes down to us to ask ourselves if we um, can support change, even if we really like the way things are done here now. People like their routines. They like familiarity. They like, we, we like things the way they are. And can we um, say that listening to God's call in our lives and the call for this church is more important than keeping things the way they've always been? So very specifically, as I close here, um, in, the, in the short run, until we, are here, we hear more about opportunities uh, to move ahead and step out uh, into other activities and, and, and ministries, very specifically, um, can we give up our pew on Sunday morning, sit farther up in the front, because of course visitors want to sit in the back? Can we help finances track our giving more efficiently by using push pay? I just told you I'm not good with all this stuff, and I fought push pay for a long time, even though I know Wit and I knew his committee would benefit from it. I was resisting change for my own reasons. So that's an example. Can we forego a social activity that we want to go to to join a discipleship group or a small group, financial peace, a mission outreach activity such as SACPAC, which is currently being reorganized and will be needing volunteers? Because if we do those things, if we choose those activities, um, we know that how we spend our time reveals our values. Simba was called out of his complacency to take his place in the circle of life. And we believe that we are being asked to take our place in the life cycle of this church and find new ways to welcome new people, uh, the new people that God wants us to meet. So it's up to us. For the next 25 minutes, I'd like to talk. I'm just kidding. <laughs> what I want everybody to do collectively is take a big, deep breath. I want to hear it. 
Ooh, didn't that feel good, right? This is a lot to chew on, and especially when they're pumping the smells of pancakes and sausage up from downstairs, it makes it a little bit more difficult to chew on um, while we prepare to chew on something else. What does it feel like to be stretched a little bit? I'll give you a personal story that I told this morning. I am risk-averse. I don't like change. I remember crying hysterically as a child when my babysitter dyed her hair, and it was like, no, you can't babysit me anymore. You change something. Um, I did the same thing when my mom put a plant on the toilet in the downstairs half bath. It makes no sense, but that's just me. Um, and I would imagine that some of you kind of maybe have a toe in that category as well. I don't like change that much, but I know how healthy it is to stretch a little bit. Um, I will tell you, for those of you who know my wife, you will know that she is, um, first of all, I said it this morning, I'll say it again, she's a super mom. I think I can hear one of my kids screaming and she's probably fixing that right now. So I'll say a lot of prayers for that. But recently, uh, in the first of the year, she came to me and she said, hey, there's a fitness challenge that I want to participate in. I was like, cool, go get them. She was like, nah, I, I want you to participate in it as well. I'm like, it involves getting up at around 4.30, 4.45 in the morning and working out before work, um, completely changing my diet, the way I eat, which is not healthy, um, and as most of us Americans can relate to that, right? Um, and I would admit that I was totally against it for the, uh, up until now, um, the whole time. I'm still against it. But <laughs> what I will say is I did listen to my wife, so for wives out there, you know, sorry husbands, it's just the truth. Um, I prayed a lot about it because she came to me and she asked me a really important question. She said, I don't want you to do this if you're just going to do it because I want you to do it. I want you to figure out, if you're going to do it, I want you to figure out why you want to do it. And I said, okay. And she said, why do you want to do it? I thought I was going to get out of it. I said, all right, well, my back's been killing me for about the past six months. She said, okay, fine. I've had it checked out by physical therapy, and they're going, yeah, whatever, just work out. <sighs> you know, you think about blood work and my family history of cardiovascular issues, and I think about my children and how badly I want to be the one that walks my daughter uh, down the aisle when she gets married one of these days. That's why I decided to do it. It's been a really, really good thing, and I feel better than I have in the, for the past 10 or 15 years. Um, now when I wrestle my wild animals that I call children, I can actually keep up. The point of this story is it took a little bit of stretching beyond my comfort zone to be able to kind of step into what I would call somebody else's shoes that are now my shoes. Um, I feel like I'm a better dad. I'm going to cry. Sorry. I feel like I'm a better person. I'm better at work. I'm easier to get along with because I'm healthier and I feel better. What does that look like and how does that translate to what we do here? We already know about the power of prayer, right? We've seen that today and we see it every Sunday. But what do, we, in my mind, this whole unstuck thing is not about us changing. It's about developing something new to show the people out there what they can get when they're in here. We already know what we've got. How do we stretch out a little bit to show them? So I'm going to ask you to pray. You'll notice in your bulletins there's no insert. There's a sticky note 
it says prayed in full. And you'll notice that the first service was great participants. There's sticky notes all along the front. You'll see sticky notes on the piano. You'll see there's one up here on a music stand and on the chairs. And hopefully, well, there's one on the back there too. The purpose of this is just that. There's something in your mind. I know it because you've all been attending here for at least as long as I have, which hasn't been that long. There's something in your mind that you want to pray for about this church, right? And I told him this morning, I said, you don't get a free pass by saying, hey, I don't like blue carpet and tossing it on the floor. It doesn't work. What about the children's ministry? What about the kitchen? What about Sackpack I read on one of these notes? What about the Boy Scouts? What about, what about the music? There's so much that we have to offer that other people don't know about. So do me a favor, do yourself a favor, and do Mount Pleasant a favor. And put your prayer, you don't have to write it, just put it here. And then place it on something throughout this church, whether it's during communion or after church. Go and put it somewhere that's representative of what you've been thinking about. Because I know you have, because I have. We've got lots of these. So if you've got lots of prayers, we got lots of sticky notes. We're also going to be handing out after the service a magnet. This is a, this is a beautiful blanket prayer, and it reads, Father, I pray that you will bring new life and blessings to Mount Pleasant, far beyond anything we could ask or imagine. We don't know what we don't know, but what we know is we're made for more. We are made for more to do more than what we're doing right now. We know that. So I pray, and my prayer for you is that you'll embody this, sticky note something. We're going to leave them up for a little while. So as you come back to church, you'll say, oh, look what other people are praying for. And then maybe you'll stop and put your prayer on that sticky note as well. God blesses this church. There are beautiful, wonderful things happening here. Let's show other people what that's all about. Thank you.